may be seated for just a moment. I just want to say welcome to all of you who are in this room worshiping with us today. We're so glad to see your smiling faces and your masked faces, any face. We're just glad to see you here today. And welcome to all of you on iCampus this morning. We are so glad you are joining us today. We love reading your comments every Sunday afternoon. We get on there and we see those and we really appreciate it. Be sure you fill out that connection card that Thomas mentioned at the in the announcement loop and so we can get to know you and know all about your prayer requests or anything else that's going on. If you are a first-time visitor and you are here in this room, please meet our pastor at the back. He would be happy to give you a copy of his first book, The Privilege of Worship as a Free Gift. And I say first book because I am proud to say our second book, Growing Stronger, is now available this morning. You can get one in the back after worship is over at a discounted price. <laughs> We're so proud. Of, I'm so proud of my husband. Kevin is on vacation today. We thankful for him and his ministry, and he, I'm sure he's getting a much-needed rest. So you get the preacher's wife today as a worship leader who only has one hand, but we're going to make it because we have a God who is worthy to be praised. So let's bless his name some more light now. Why don't y'all go ahead and stand?
it is to worship and to celebrate the wonders of God and how good he is to us and to declare that he is good to us even in the darkest valleys and no matter what comes our way. As we spend a moment in prayer this morning, we want to lift up a couple of, uh, of our church family members. Uh, Gary Wilson is, uh, seems to be getting ready to go meet Jesus and so be in prayer for his wife, Pat, and that family. And then Ed Boniel was taken to the ER this morning with various things going on. And so we want to lift up he and Margaret this morning as we go to the Lord in prayer. And today we begin a new series on the family. And I want you to cover this series in prayer uh, because there's so much need in our day for the strengthening of the home. And we want to see God be able to do some things through the families of our church, but also the families in our community and wherever our um, webcast can reach. And so join with me in prayer now as we seek the Lord together. Father God, we come before you this morning grateful that you are the God who is with us. You are the one deserving of all the blessing, all the glory, all of the honor. And we will praise your name whether we're on the mountaintop or in the deepest valley. And so, God, we praise your name today, and we declare you as great and wonderful and mighty. Lord, you are the great physician who can touch Ed Boniel right now and all others that we know of in our hearts who need your healing touch as the great physician. Lord, you are our God who welcomes us home to heaven when we have walked in faith and trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And so, Lord, as Gary prepares to make that step, we pray that you would give him peace in the transition to glory. We thank you, God, for the privilege we have of worshiping you. And God, we pray that that worship would overflow into our lives, Lord, into our homes, into our automobiles, Lord, throughout our families. And God, we pray that you would make our families strong. Lord, all of our families need tweaks here and there. Some of us need major renovations. Some of us just need some home improvements. And we pray that you would bring those to us God, through this series, as we think about different needs, different areas of adjustment, Lord, where there's forgiveness or where there's, that's needed or whether there's repentance that's needed or whether there are some changes that are needed, we pray, God, that you would give us guidance in that. And, Lord, that you would break in and make our homes places for your glory to be exalted. We thank you, God, for um, the privilege of being able to encounter your word in direction to our families. We're thankful, God, for the break that some of our staff is being able to have, Kimberly and Kevin both being off uh, this weekend. And we're grateful for the ministry that they do on a week-to-week basis. And we're glad today that they're able to just sit back and relax and enjoy some time with their families. well-deserved. And we pray, God, that you would bless them immensely as they have that time together. As we continue to worship, Lord, speak to our hearts. Draw us closer to you transform us by the power of your word and the presence of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
this mountain that's in front of me will be thrown into the midst of the sea.
Aren't you glad that that's a word for all of us? It is well with our soul, and he is with us through it all. Well, this morning, as I mentioned, we're beginning a new sermon series called Home Improvements Dealing. Uh, The message today, Dealing with an Imperfect Family. And as we often do when we launch a sermon series, we're going to have multiple texts as part of the sermon text for today. But as we go through the homes of the house in the weeks to come, we'll be centering on some more specific scripture passages. So have your Bible handy. We'll get there in just a little bit. But I wanted to begin by thinking about the need for this series and the the imperfect families that we deal with and that we are a part of. One evening during high school, my dad said something to me that caused my hormonally imbalanced self to act in a rage. I yelled something at dad in the den, which was right across the hall from my bedroom. I stormed across the hall, grabbed my door, and slammed it behind me. And as soon as I did that, I thought, that was dumb. (laughs) There, as I waited in my room and calmed down a moment from my fit, I just knew the wrath of Charles B. Holloway was about to come down upon me. Oddly enough, though, I never heard footsteps across the hall. My door never opened So when I figured he must not be coming, I quietly grabbed the doorknob and gingerly opened it back up. Dad never said anything about my outburst. All these years later, I now realize he was just wise enough to know that that fit was a result of my adolescent stupidity. And he figured that I would learn from that myself. In fact, It was the first and last time I ever slammed my door. Grace had been granted once, and I didn't want to test it again. (laughs) Have you ever had a a voice-raising, door-slamming disagreement in your family? I'm not asking for a show of hands, but some of you are volunteering to say, yes, we have. It happens. Maybe it was between you and your parent. Maybe it was between you and your spouse. Maybe it was between you and your child. And and some of those times may have become humorous as the years have passed, but some of those may have been very serious. And and maybe they happened just recently, and, and maybe they're even hurting today. In fact, they may rest in your memory And the hurt remains there. And even today, the stress over family problems may be like great evil talons digging into you. And you may be wondering what to do. Well, can I tell you something? You are not alone. In fact, no matter how good any of our families are, none of our families are perfect. In one way or another... We all have imperfect families. And you know how I know that? Because every one of our families is made up of people. And people are imperfect because people are sinners. We're going to mess up. We're going to say things that hurt. We're going to say things that we shouldn't say. We're going to do things we shouldn't do. None of us here is perfect because none of us is sinless. And therefore, our families aren't perfect either. And if you think you are perfect... Just ask the people in your family and they'll set you straight. Family life is wonderful, but it can be messy. In fact, one writer said, where two or three are gathered in one name, there will be spilt milk. 
One of my favorite family stories happened when I was in college and I was going to Louisiana College, living at home, and my nephew was spending some time with my parents and me, and John Lee was about four or five at the time, and we had all sat down to eat, and and mom and dad always cooked great meals, and we were just doing great with that meal when suddenly John's milk went everywhere, and my daddy let him have it. How could you be so careless? And mom and I jumped up to clean it up. And we were saying, John Lee, you got to be more careful. You shouldn't be spilling milk like that. And we went on with the rest of the meal. Then the next meal came. Again, we sat down. It was a great spread that mom and dad had prepared. And things were going just great until suddenly iced tea went everywhere. John Lee jumped back from the table. Not me, not me, not me. And we all looked to the source of the glass. And there it was, turned over in front of my dad. Oddly enough, he didn't say anything about that spilt tea. Neither did mom and I, but we all learned spilt milk happens. A mess takes place. Family life is a mess. This is true even for believers. If you want proof, let's walk quickly through sacred history for a moment and just check out some of the families in Scripture We don't even get through the first family, and we see them putting the dis in dysfunctional. You remember Adam and Eve's kids? Adam's son Cain was so jealous of his brother that he murdered him. Uh, Noah got drunk. So did Lot and his daughters committed incest with him. Parental favoritism caused Abraham's grandsons, Jacob and Esau, to, to spend most of their lives feuding with one another. And later, when Jacob followed his parents' example of favoritism, his embittered own children sold their brother Joseph into slavery. Years later, David, King David, committed adultery, murder, was guilty of parental neglect. His family disintegrated in a tragic sequence of of rape and incest and murder. And even Jesus' family which was a long way from dysfunctional, still had its problems for Jesus was ridiculed by his own brothers. He was thought to be a little crazy by his extended family. The list is a long and painful one. It includes husbands who were unfaithful to their wives, wives who abandoned their husbands, children who rebelled against their parents, and siblings who hated one another. And that's in the Bible. So be encouraged. Chances are your family's doing better than a lot of the folks in the Bible. From the first family in the Bible to the newest family in our congregation, family life is a mess. Spilt milk happens. And so all of our families could use some home improvements. Now, I want you to know, none of us can reach perfection in our families. That's impossible. But just as you pursue perfection in your Christian walk, trying to become more and more like Christ, we should at least pursue perfection in our families. We may not get there, but we should say, as for me and my house, we will die trying. We're going to do our best. We must be so committed because strong biblical families are desperately needed in our church, they're needed in our community, and they're needed in our society today. Why? Because there are so few of them. 
The breakdown of the biblical family has been part of the cause of the havoc of society. We're, we're all messed up when it comes to love and marriage and everything in between. In many ways, we have lost our ever-loving mind when it came to what love and family should be. Studies indicate that since 1960, the number of couples getting married has declined by a third, while the number of couples getting divorced has more than doubled. Statistics from 2018 indicate that 42 to 45 percent of marriages in the United States end in divorce. And when you break that down by the number of the marriage, you see some interesting statistics that 42 to 45 percent of first marriages end in divorce. 60% of second marriages end in divorce, and 73% of third marriages end in divorce. So third time is not the charm. In the United States, there is one divorce approximately every 36 seconds. So that adds up to some 876,000 divorces a year. The result is a mess. According to the CDC, past research has shown that divorce is associated with a higher rate of mortality, more health problems, and more risky behaviors such as increased alcohol use. The effect of divorce is felt in children. One study indicated that 90% of children from divorced homes suffer from an acute sense of shock when the separation occurs, and most significantly, 37% of children were even more unhappy and dissatisfied Five years after the divorce. In other words, time did not heal their wounds. Recent studies have also indicated that divorce is directly related to sexually promiscuous behavior during adolescence. Even more, children from divorced homes are more likely to get divorced themselves, especially when both come from a divorced home. When you, in addition to all that, as the family is crumbling through divorce, we also see the rise of fatherlessness. This week, our church began a partnership with a ministry called Fathers in the Field that you're going to hear a lot more about in the weeks and months to come. But this ministry is designed at combating fatherlessness on an individual, child-by-child -child, um, matter in our region. And according to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.7 million children, more than one in four, live without a father in the home. One in four. Consequently, there is a father factor connected to nearly every societal ill that faces America. Research shows that when a child is raised in a father-absent home, he or she is impacted in staggering ways. They have a four-time greater risk of poverty, seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen, more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to commit crime and go to prison, two times more likely to drop out of high school. And what is the result of the crumbling family besides these devastating statistics? Well, our families are faltering. The biblical family of one married man and married to one woman for life is becoming increasingly foreign, even in the church. Marriage has been redefined to include homosexual unions, and even more laxity is being discussed in that definition. And I wouldn't doubt that there'd be more to come in the future as we've already gone off that slippery slope. The faltering family is having devastating effect on our churches, our communities, and our society. In fact, if we could study the home lives of the people involved in and behind Antifa, 
and BLM and white supremacy and other such movements that, whose actions often confound us, we would find broken homes behind so many of, their, of those folks. And we'd find a lot of hurt, too. And that explains a lot of why there's so much hurt coming from them. It's out of the heart. The mouth speaks. We might ask, why is the breakdown of the home having such incredible societal impact? And the answer is simple. The home was created by God as the first and most central institution. It was the first and the most sacred institutional. God established the family before he ever established the church. He established the family before he ever established even religion. In Genesis 2.24, God said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and they will become one flesh. In Matthew 19.6, Jesus was speaking of a married couple when he said, So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. The home is is divine in its establishment. It was built by the Creator for the protection of and the development of humanity's deepest physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual needs. That's why the breakdown of the home has such devastating effects on the family. We have attacked the foundation. As goes the home of a society, so goes that society. What happens in the streets starts in the homes. Ask any teacher who spends his or her day with students from multiple families in a classroom, and I guarantee you by the end of August, they can tell you what the home life of those ki- each of those kids is like, whether they really know it or not. They can just tell by the impact that it's had on those kids. And because of the impact the home has had on society, those of us who claim Christ must do the hard work to make improvements to our homes, whether we just need to clean up some spilt milk or whether we need to do a a, a major renovation and curb the tide of divorce. We must work to make our homes strong. We must counter culture. We in the church must make our homes as strong as possible so that our children's homes will be as strong as possible and so our society can have a fighting chance. This is something that takes generations to fix. We have a divine mandate. We have a divine responsibility. We must make our home improvements. But how do we start? Well, certainly we must admit there's a problem. I mean, we know there's a problem out there. But we've got to get real and admit there's a problem in here. There's a problem in the church. We need to sit down, realize where we are, and and seek and ask for some help. Uh, Do any of you ever watch the home improvement or home makeover shows? Yeah, I love that. I I was watching, you know, This Old House back when it was just on PBS, you know, back when I was a kid. I've always liked those kind of things. And and in the shows today, usually there's, you know, the show begins with the homeowner bemoaning how terrible their house is. And, And sometimes it's pretty bad. I mean, sometimes they cry, sometimes they laugh, sometimes it's just ridiculous how bad these things have gotten. And and, but they're admitting that they have a problem, and they're admitting that they need some help. Now, whether things are awful in your family or not, you've got to admit the problems you do have before you can ever work to fix them. It's likely that 
If we were all to share as a church family the things that have gone on in our families or are going on in our families, we would hear stories of hostility and frustration and stress and financial challenges and addictions and depression and anxiety and anger and molestation and thoughts of suicide and and issues over death and resentment and, and just on and on and on and on. We would hear it all from our church family. We've all had something. And we would be able to share these things. But you know what else we would hear? We wouldn't hear anybody saying, oh, this is exactly what I wanted. We wouldn't have anybody saying, oh, I was hoping this would happen or this is how I want it to be. Everybody would say, man, I wish I could hit escape or undo or back or something to be able to fix this. But I know it's how it is, so how can I fix it? Family life is a mess, and it's a bigger mess than we can handle on our own. We don't need the help of a network like HGTV or something like that. We need the help of God. So the wonderful thing to think about is not only are you not alone in your circumstance of having an imperfect family, because we're all there, but you're not alone even in the imperfect family and working on the imperfect family because God is right there wanting to help. He's wanting to do a work. And so this morning, I want to reassure you that God is the place to go for help. He'll give you the help you need to make the changes you need in your home. God can and wants to make a big difference. And here's where we come to our first text, Psalm 127, verse 1. It's probably a familiar verse, Psalm 127, verse 1, where This psalm attributed to Solomon reads, Unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. What this text reminds us of is that a home must be built, or maybe in our cases improved or renovated, by hard work. But We know that to make over our home, we must work with all of our skill. We must work with all of our strength. But this verse reminds us that all of our strength and all of our wisdom and all of our expertise is not enough. We need God working in and through us. Our human wisdom, our human ingenuity, no matter how good, are not enough. Our work, no matter how hard, is not enough unless the Lord builds the house. Those who labor do so in vain. Your home cannot, will not, and shall not be built by human ingenuity or wit or wisdom. Self-help books might offer some suggestions, but the one architect, builder, and designer of the Christian home is God. That's who must be working. God is the premier home builder. But you know something else? Satan is the premier home wrecker. And we need to realize that Satan and his legions are attacking the home with all-out force today. They are worse than any termites that get in. They are chipping away at the foundation. They're eating away at the walls. They are deteriorating the roof. And they're wanting the home to crumble. This is not just a battle being fought in the earthly courts or in the media or in society. It's a battle being fought on spiritual battlefields. And we need to realize that's what's going on. 
It's not just political stuff. There's spiritual battleground happening behind all of that. And so unless the Lord is building on your house, you're laboring in vain. But if we will allow the Lord to work to improve our home, and if we'll allow His truths and His guidance, we will have a strong and blessed home. Continue right in your Bible to Proverbs chapter 3, verse 33. Proverbs 3, verse 33. The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. How many of you believe that kind of text? The Lord's curse is on the house of the wicked, but he blesses the home of the righteous. God makes the difference between the blessings and the curses. But another thing that makes the difference in how God can bless us by that text, is our relationship with the Lord. We become righteous, not through our own actions, but by trusting in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And through our relationship with Him, He declares us righteous, and He draws us to Himself, and He makes us more and more like Himself as we live our lives, so that then God can work in our lives and bless us. This text has been proven Time and time again. But I want to compare two legacies of two real-life American families, one righteous and one wicked. And you may have heard this comparison before. But every time I run across it, it just reminds me of the importance of walking with the Lord in our generation at our time. Because that really can make a difference in the generations that follow us. The 18th century revivalist and pastor Jonathan Edwards You probably only know of his message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, that you may have read in high school. That's not typical of his preaching at all. But he was a great leader in the First Great Awakening in the colonies of the the American colonies. He was from a righteous family. His parents were godly. And then Jonathan Edwards built a righteous family. In fact, he, he, he stood out so much himself that when George Whitfield who was an evangelist of the First Great Awakening, who preached in both England and the colonies, visited Northampton, Massachusetts, where Jonathan Edwards pastored. George Whitfield, who knew a lot of pastors, said, Mr. Edwards is a solid, excellent Christian. I think I have not seen his fellow in all of New England. In other words, Jonathan Edwards was the real deal. And He built a godly family, and God blessed that family, true to his promise. Among Edward's descendants were 13 college presidents, 65 college professors, more than 100 lawyers, 30 judges, 60 physicians, more than 100 pastors, missionaries, and theology professors, 60 authors, 3 senators, and a U.S. vice president. There is scarcely any great American industry that has not been touched by one of his descendants. Such is the product and legacy of one Christian American family. By contrast, we might look at another guy by the name of Max Jukes. Jukes was a non-believer who married a woman who was involved in the occult. And his family was not righteous, and neither did Jukes build a righteous legacy. In fact, his family would not work and are said to have cost the state of New York a million dollars. Their entire record is full of pauperism and crime, insanity, and imbecility. Among their 1,200 known descendants, 310 were professional paupers. 
440 were physically wrecked by their own wickedness. 60 were habitual thieves. 130 were convicted criminals. 55 were victims of impurity. Only 20 learned a trade, and 10 of those did so in the state pen. And this family produced seven murderers. Which legacy do you want? What happens from here on out in your family starts with you. Even if you have a multi-generational family history like the Jukes, you can be the one that changes that. As the Lord works in your life through your witness and in your kids and in your grandkids and in your great-grandkids, and that family tree can fork in a positive way. Or maybe you've been privileged to be a part of a godly legacy and you look back at your parents and your grandparents and you say, thank you, God, for what they did to help me to know you. And Lord, now as a father, grandfather, mother, grandmother, help me to guide my children and grandkids in the right direction as well. The only way that we can build that kind of legacy is to have Jesus Christ at the center of our life. It, it doesn't matter how many vacations you go on as a family or how many game nights and movie nights you have. It doesn't, none of that is what, that makes a good family, sure. But you got to have Jesus at the center of your life and at the center of your home. And everything else flows from that. And so if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that's where it begins. Right here. Admitting your need for Him and saying, Lord Jesus I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that I need you in my life. I need you directing me and transforming me every day so that I can direct and transform my family. And then God can start working in you. If you want to build a legacy like Edwards, ask the Lord to build your house. Because when you're focused and your home is focused, God promises to bless, and the blessings will continue then for generations. We may never have a perfect family. In fact, we never will. But we can have a better family. And most importantly, we can have a righteous family. We can have a godly family. And we can have a family that transforms this generation and the next generation and even the generations to come. Is that the kind of family you want to have? And let's make the home improvements needed to see that take place. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are grateful for your word. And, and Lord, we know that we live in a day when things are, are just crazy. And even we in the church are being attacked on all sides for believing biblical truths. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give us a boldness to be committed to the truth set forth in your word. Lord, we pray that we would stand up for the truth in our own families and in our own lives. That, God, we would seek your face to renovate our lives where they're needed. Lord, right now we bring our families to you. We surrender our individual lives. We surrender our lives, the lives of our family to you. And we ask for you to do a work. We turn over the keys to our home to you. And we ask, God, for you to take over. And lead us as only you can. Lord, I don't know what kind of needs are in this room right now for families that are struggling, couples that may be uh, hurting and uh, even thinking about divorce. But God, I pray that right now 
you'll speak to everybody's heart, to those here, to those watching online. God, and encourage them by your Holy Spirit's presence and through your word that you're with them and you'll guide them through. Help our families to be not only saved but strengthened. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation where the altar's open to come and pray. It may be you want to pray for your own family. You want to pray for kids, grandkids, families because you see some things happening that you're uh, discouraged about and you know need to be lifted up to the Lord. Maybe you want to come and just thank God for the godly legacy that you have and to to give thanks to God that, that you can see that legacy continuing in your kids' lives. But this song of invitation says, I surrender all. And I pray that that is our prayer as leaders of our families and as members of families, that we would surrender everything to the Lord Jesus Christ, our individual lives and the lives of our families so that he might work. As we stand and sing this song of invitation, if the Lord is speaking to your heart to make a public decision today, I invite you to come, but I also invite you to come and pray as we sing. Thank you, church family. You may be seated for just a moment. We want you to turn your attention to the screens. We're going to show you a video about an upcoming prayer emphasis that's happening in our nation, and we want you to know about This is Jonathan Kahn. We are standing at a critical moment in American and world history, a moment that can seal the future for calamity or redemption. We've driven God out of our culture, and now we war against his ways. If we don't return to God, America's light will go out. 
The answer is revival, but we only have a limited window of time. So this is the announcing of the return, the National and Global Day of Prayer and Repentance, Saturday, September 26, 2020. Join me for a prophetic and critical gathering on the National Mall, Washington, D.C. And if you can't make it, the return will be all over America. Gather in your states, your churches, your homes to pray for repentance, return, and revival. And surrounding the Day of Return will be 10 days of prayer and repentance, beginning with the Feast of Trumpets to Yom Kippur. Plan now. The return, September 26, 2020. Spread the word in this video and go to the returnwebsite.org. That's the returnwebsite.org. It's time to seek the Lord. It's time to return. Attention are kind of leading our effort in uh, praying for the return. And so Bo's going to come and tell you just a little bit more about this. Thank you, Pastor. You know, it doesn't take a, a rocket scientist to figure out that our country is on a downward spiral and how appropriate was this message today about the family. The only solution is a return to God. And on September 26th, the return gathering is set for the National Mall in Washington, D.C. Joe and I are going. My daughter and son-in-law are going. You can go too. I hope you'll pray about being a part of the return going to Washington. But if you can't go, we're gonna have a simulcast right here in our own church. And it'll be happening on that Saturday, the 26th. And I'm thankful to the pastor for agreeing to host this simulcast. Advisors for this great event include Anne Graham Lotz, of course, Jonathan Kahn, James Dobson, Pat Robertson, Alvareda King, and others. It's a tremendous event, and we need to make a stand that we need to return to God in our nation. Joe and I will be here at the front this morning. If you have any questions, of course, you can go to the returnwebsite.org and find out all about it. But uh, my phone number is also available there. On the, you've seen it on the screen. If you have any questions or if you want to come down to the front. Uh, thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Bo. Ms. Elaine Ward is coming to lead us in our closing prayer. If you'd all stand for this closing prayer, we'll seek the Lord together one more time before we go together. Thank you for joining us today. It's been a great day of worship. Ms. Elaine. What a message to stir our hearts to return to you, O oh God. There's a Hebrew word for return and repentance. It's teshuva. We should all teshuva each and every day to return. Heavenly Father, Abba, Daddy, if ever we have needed you, we need you now. The world needs you. Our country needs you. The church needs you, Father. Our families need you, Father. Stir our hearts. Encourage our hearts to return with every ounce of our being to you. Let our minds, our hearts, and our souls teshuva. Bring us back. Bring us back to you, Yeshua. And Heavenly Father, I ask this in your wonderful, wonderful name. Amen. <laughs>